Cougs house. All right. We're talking about Miami Hurricanes getting ready for the Sweet 16. It feels more like sugar cane. Let's get to it. You are locked on Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Angels, that I break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater, gonna step by, please be sure to hit subscribe down below. That we can delay us on the Cougs in your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. Welcome back to the YouTube channel. It's good to see you again. Remember, when we get to 1,000 subscribers, we're giving something away. We're doing that every 250 subscribers to the channel uh we're at approaching 900 pretty quickly so make sure you hit subscribe button and to make sure you enter the contest you got to be liking and subscribing and uh commenting on videos if i are talking about the miami hurricane sweet 16 matchup for an episode you don't know what to say tell us how you eat a bagel now in today's episode we're gonna do a couple things um first uh we're gonna talk some about some personnel stuff with the miami hurricanes um after a little bit more of a deeper dive over the course of the week Second segment, I'll look at some uh, things to exploit and things that they're good at, um, like just strengths and weaknesses kind of stuff. And then the last part, I want to talk more about those common opponents and the games that I watched. Um, so first things first, let's jump in and talk some about what the Miami Hurricanes roster looks like uh, and what I pulled out as strengths of their individual players. They got some really strong and talented kids. Um, and, and I guess I should point out that like this is one of the fastest teams in college basketball as far as like pace of play and things like that. Um, they're playing, like I said before, around 70 possessions of basketball game. That's a lot, especially a lot when you think about how Houston plays close around to 62-63. Now, Houston plays tremendous defense and grinds out long possessions. That's part of it. So the story of the game may come down to pace. We shall see. Um, one thing I do think is interesting in looking at this is if you're like thinking of Miami's offense being their engine and Houston's defense being their engine. The flip side of the ball where Houston is on offense and Miami is on defense, I think you do have a fairly strong Houston advantage. Um, They've got some guys that are good defenders, and I don't mean to say that they don't, but that certainly is a side of the ball where they seem to take time off as a team. Um, Individually, that's to say that um, Isaiah Wong's ACC player of the year, so probably have to start with him. He's a 6'4", a sturdy kid. I have sturdy, steady, balanced each in my notes here on my note sheet. Um, he's just, he's always in control and under, like he is a t- occasionally like lunging at the basket and, and like up in the air doing acrobatics. I don't mean to say he doesn't, he's an attack the rim first kind of guard and does a lot of running the point guard for them. Um, but he's always like got his base under him until he takes off from the ground. So he's really, really hard to get off that mark at 6'4, 185. I'm back and forth in my head between who I put on him. Um, I kind of think it's Jamal Shedd, and, and I know that it's given up a little bit of size, where Sasser probably given up a little bit of weight. Um, my thing is that if Jamal Shedd's good to go 100%, like things indicate that he has been all week, I, I feel like I want someone that can stay in front of Isaiah Wong with the sturdiness of a Jamal Shedd more so than the uh, elusiveness or quickness of a Marcus Sasser. Both guys do very well. I don't mean to say that he owns a wrong action there, but I feel like because the way Isaiah Wong gets downhill and attacks the rim and is very, very like strong in the way he carries himself with the basketball, that's the way I'm going to go there. Um, the other like key player, and this is just in their marquee player, like 
ACC player there, Isaiah Wong. The guy I think is their most important player is Norshad Omir. Um, and I think I tweeted out the other day and got some commentary back on it. Like he's the player on Miami that strikes in as the most Houston Cougar type player, frankly, not on Houston in the country, like, like across the board. Right. Um, and he's a six, seven, he's listed at two fifty, but he's like a very sculpted. He might be two forty five, but he's, he's like around that size, big, strong guy. Um, that plays a traditional post because he's just that he's got that kind of energy and that like frenetic energy, which is like flying around, finding the ball all of the time, getting hands on every month. Even if he doesn't come around the board, a lot of tips and deflections. Um, not to say he doesn't get a bunch of rebounds himself <laughs> um, on the season. He is averaging 13.6 points and 9.8 rebounds. Again, I teach history, not math, but that rounds to a double double to me. And he's that kind of an athlete. Um, he's he's really really good at offense after he gets an offense rebound both in finding cutters and things like that it's interesting to me that he's not as good at it in flow of offense kind of stuff um and i think that's because his energy like once he like finds the ball he continues to feed off of that it's like there's a burst of energy or a video game power up kind of thing right where he's like that much quicker with the ball afterwards um really really impressed by him i said that in my initial reading i said throughout the week texting about tweeting about the game that kind of stuff um he is he is impressive, impressive. And watching him play against Jawan, Reggie, Jarvis, whoever the matchup is at the time, I think will be really, really important. Um, as far as who I think it will be to start the game, I think it'll actually be Jawan Roberts to start the game. And a lot of people talking about Omir versus Jarvis Walker, and they will have time on one another. But I imagine it's Omir versus, uh, in a starting lineup kind of spot, Jawan Roberts, uh, which is frankly um awesome because that's two guys that like make their living doing very much the same things right um i i wonder if as far as like selling out for rebounds goes for amir um he seems to be more haphazard with it i wonder if that almost like leans into some advantages for juan but this guy will win rebounds so don't be frustrated with juan when north chad omir wins himself some rebounds that you're not used to seeing uh roberts give up Frankly, you got to remember they practice too. Sometimes, right? Like this kid's that kid's really, really good. Um, I think one of the more impressive guys I've seen perform so far, especially in the Drake game for uh, Miami. So I just point out I watched Indiana and Drake. Um, Indiana when it happened, Drake I went back and watched. And I watched the game against Virginia and UCF because those are opponents I was familiar with, and Houston has already played, so I kind of knew I was getting into with those. Um, all of which I should point out, um, Miami did win. In the Drake game specifically, Nigel Pack went off. This kid is a a shooter, 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 uh, both on volume and percentage. He's shooting 39% from three on a high volume. Make sure I get the statistic right here. But as a guy um, shooting 39% from three on 190 attempts on the season, um, in a per-game instance, let me pull that back up, that's six attempts per game he's making nearly three of them um really really impressive young man as far as shooting the basketball goes he shoots off the dribble in the mid-range too i think a lot of the things you see when you watch him playing a game is that people overplay the three-point shot because that's what the scouting report says and they don't quite they aren't wet ready for the one pound pull up um jordan miller i thought was interesting coach said in his availability this week uh coach sampson said in the availability this week that other coaches he was texting, I'm assuming he's talking to Bennett, 
uh, at Virginia or whoever, but said that they thought that uh, Jordan Miller was their most important player. Jordan Miller is a 6'7 kid that shoots 35% from three on a low volume, but he does get 15 points per game. He started every game for them this season. He plays 35 minutes per game. He's on the floor a lot for them. He's a 6'7 guy that has inside stuff and outside stuff. And that, that's the matchup I see Jarrett Walker having um, because he does all those different things. I also think that uh, as Walker has grown into one of the better defenders in America over the course of the season, obviously we always knew he had the intangible stuff early as he's grown into that guy. Uh, right. I think that that's the matchup because if that's the guy that coach sees as the most important player, right. Cause he said that I, I like Gomer, but that's not, I'm not coach. Um, then I think that's where he's going to sign Jarris. As far as the fifth starter, and this is where things get interesting. Um, <laughs> Wooga Poplar. Um, I've probably pronounced it wrong time in the comments, how you pronounce it phonetically. Um, he's 6'5", 192, and a crazy, crazy, crazy athlete. I mean, but body's up above the rim. He has great double bounce, both like lateral and then immediately back up vertical. He is a special, special kind of explosive athlete. Um, and that leads to a lot of easy offense for him because he's just hard to guard purely on that from that standpoint. Um, he, because he is a crazy athlete, was really, really high in the air in one play in the Indiana game, uh, got kind of you know, leg taken out in front of him and fell directly on his tailbone. And I'd imagine his tailbone fell like eight and a half feet by the time you realize how high his legs were in the air before it came down. Um, wish he was healthy for this game because then that's a fun matchup with Tremont Mark. However, it looks like he's had trouble staying on the floor this week at practice. And if he has had trouble staying on the floor this week at practice, hard to imagine as he play. Um, because I imagine them trying to scheme some stuff for Houston or whatever. Um, and I don't, I, some people on Twitter are saying he's not even like getting shots up and getting moving around. So I, I don't know. Look at the back, tailbone kind of stuff. And you hate to see that. I'd like to see him play, I'd like to see him match with Tremont Mark. The big question I have is who starts for him for Miami? Um, they've played the same starting lineup for 31 of the 33 games this season. Um, the guy I think is a natural placement is Harlan Beverly, who is a junkyard dog type defense first on a roster of a lot of offense first kind of guys, a junkyard dog defense first kind of guy. Um, he's only been getting 12 or 13 minutes a game. It looks like depending on what statistic things you're reading in college basketball, this can be kind of crazy and random. Um, but he's the next guard in the rotation. They play that, that many, <laughs> they play Wong and uh, Poplar and Pack fairly like together uh, and they're on the floor a lot. Uh, so Harlan Beverly will be interesting to see how he handles as, as an offensive guy, the pressure of Shimon Mark or whomever. I imagine he's the next guard in. Um, I could also see them going really, really big and trying to counterbalance Houston and going more with like an AJ Casey or somebody, but I, I don't think that that's what's going to happen. I think it's going to be, uh, like, I, like I said, I think it's going to be Beverly. The other guy they're pulling off the bench for that I was impressed with is Anthony Walker. Walker is a energy guy. He he's listed at like 11, 10 minutes per game. Um, but he really like it's like some games he gets 22, some games he gets two. He is a high energy, high variance kind of guy. His impact looks across four games I watched. And I have to say that he, when he's playing well, is impressive. Um, I, I don't think I have any issues with the guy like Reggie Cheney on him, though, so we'll see. Um, I want to get into the things I think that they do well and not so well as a team. But first, I want to get into talking to you a little bit about FanDuel. Now, FanDuel Sportsbook is the number one sportsbook in America, and the tournament is heating up. There's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. 
That's because right now FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. They can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. Make every moment more with Fan duel. Um, I am looking at this Houston game. They got Houston favored by seven and a half points. The over under set at one thirty eight and a half. That's really high for a Houston game. Um, I think they're looking at that and saying that uh, Miami will have some impact on the pace. I think this is going to be right there between six and eight points as far as the difference goes. I think early in the week, my prediction was sixty eight to sixty. I might be leaning more like 70 to 64, 62 now, um, which does not help you with where to go there. You can take Houston as the as the outright winner and the over if you think it's going to go that high. I'm thinking defense wins championships here, and Houston ends up being on top and keeping the score just a little bit below that 138.5. Um, as far as the 7.5, though, hats off, or as far as the spread being 7.5, Hats off to the folks at FanDuel because that is exactly kind of where I see this thing flirting with. Um, tell me what you do. How about this? You tell me what you do down below. We'll see who got get it right. Right? I, how about this? For the sake of being a fan, I'll go over. You tell me what you do below. We'll see who's right. I'm telling you to do it wherever you do it, whatever, whichever one you want to do at FanDuel because you can get a no sweat first bet to one thousand dollars when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com/slash/logon to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. All right. So in the second segment, I want to talk about some things that they, the Miami does really well and some things that they don't do really well. Something they really, really do well is they find their guys for open threes because they're such a constant, especially as they have long pressure on the rim type of team offensively. It pulls in guys off the corners, pulls in guys off the slots, and suddenly you got kick out, kick out, kick out. And Pack is the kind of guy that knocks those down. Jordan Miller's the kind of guy that knocks those down. Like those guys shoot the three ball really well. So you got to stay in front of Wong in a one-on-one instance because if you have to pull help side and you pull from the wrong spot, they make you pay, right? They shoot the ball pretty well. Um, Admittedly, on the season, I thought, and it bears out statistically as far as rankings in the country, they don't shoot a lot of threes. It doesn't. It's not like there's like only threes and a super analytical team like that or anything like that. They just hit a really high percentage of them and make you stick on covering them. And that opens up the lane for Isaiah Wong to get his 16 points a game, right? Um, so staying in front of Isaiah and making sure you cover out the three points is going to be really important because that's something they're really good at. The other thing is they do a really good job of stacking possessions, right? Um, they they go on spurts and streaks that kind of like either put the game away or extend the lead or whatever and kind of gain momentum. It's, like this. it's a neutral court game, so necessarily Houston's kind of known they're going to be in Kansas City for a little while, you'd think. It's so like maybe they have more people there. Um, but I, they do a really good job of, like I said, like winning a four-minute stretch, or winning a six-minute stretch. And you hear co- coaches in college all the time talk about winning between TV timeouts. So there's a TV timeout every four minutes um, at the dead, next dead ball, right? So the under 16, the under 12, the under eight, right? And like winning the time between TV timeouts is really, really important. They, like, they'll, they'll win those uh, across games. They're really good at like, stacking up an important stretch of the basketball game in that sense. And that's credit to Larry, uh, Larry, Larry, <laughs> Jim Laraniega, um for – He's a good coach too. He's a Sweet 16 coach too. He was there last year too. Um, frankly, they played Kansas very, very tough, I believe, in the lead eight last year, right? Um, all that said, 
Um, I think the thing they're best at is pace of the game and like putting pressure on the other team, both in the way they attack the rim, like I said, and in the way that they like go for sports center type gamble plays on defense and turning over and multiple spurts of the uh, four games I watched. Like I said, um, they did a really, really good job of forcing tournaments of the press. I were, if I were them, I would worry. Yeah. I'm actually hoping they press because I, Sasser and Shed and Tremont seem to handle that pretty well as the season's gone on. Um, and frankly, when teams have gone to a press at the end of the game, try and force the Cougs to get the ball back, it's kind of been the nail in the coffin in a lot of ways for them. Um, I'm not sure that's going to be a super, super important thing <laughs> to Houston. Um, if they want to come on and press, I'm sure that that Houston's worked on it this week in practice. I don't mean to say that they haven't like stressed at all, but it's an interesting thing because like I think that kind of plays in Houston's hands because they've got several guys on the floor at all times that can bring the ball up, including we haven't seen Point Jarris this season. That's not really a thing that Samson does a lot with his forwards, but I'm telling you, I've seen it. On, I, I, he can do that. He's at IMG Academy. That was like his projection to the pro level is that he can do that kind of stuff. Uh, if you get the ball in the break, he's a really selfless player in that instance. Um, things that I don't think they do particularly well is with their size. And I... Size doesn't always matter in basketball. I, I think part of the reason that Houston's really good is because they have guys that are undersized, play with high energy, and sometimes that's better to have. Um, however, being a little undersized, Miami has really, really struggled defending the rim. Um, they don't have a big shot blocker in the back line, and their guys are not the best perimeter defenders, and they're frequently giving up layups off the bounce and off the roll because they have trouble tagging the roller. With the, they just don't have guys that defend the rim and take that away. Um, I got something I want to show you in a second on the chalkboard, but that's kind of why I think Houston's going to have an advantage here is in half-court offense, if you get Miami into half-court uh, defense, that is. The half-court offenses that they've played have had really, really easy times finding if it's UCF and Taylor Hendricks on the, on the roll or uh, you know Trace Jackson Davis of Indiana on the roll or uh, Drake had some giant kid that was really beating him up inside on those. Like just, they just don't have guys to take away the rim. Uh, that's where I see uh, Jarris on the short roll or Juwan at the mic and spots or whatever, really, really having a lot of room to operate to. Um, I also, I thought it was interesting that Virginia who played, and we'll talk about that game in, in the third segment, um, Virginia did a really good job of just like feeding the post and just going straight to a post up and taking things away. One thing I thought was interesting they did too, to get that man the ball um, was they ran what I'm calling a double pin and Houston's done something kind of like this in the past. So in this, the ball would end up getting put into a guy like Tremont Mark's hands. Who's a decent ice and one-on-one player. And you get an almost like phony screen out of the four in this case, Jarris Walker setting up for him. But what he ends up going to do is going to actually pass to you have in a horns almost set. You've got Jawan come down and set a pin down screen first for shed and then second for Sasser. And unless he's got a real big ISO lane, Jamal's going to come right back to Jamal Shed. Now, what Jamal can do is he can either, obviously, attack if he needs to, but also he can kick it right back to Sass and drop it off. He can drop it off to Jawan on the screen at them himself if they don't tag the roller. Or what ends up happening sometimes you see too is the four, after setting this phony screen, come up in a real screen and get some actions going out of that. I think the way this works for Houston is a couple different things. One, it creates a lot of motion, which will lead sometimes you'll see teams give up the lob because a guy this aggressive like Northside O'Meara will play the top side. You see the lob on the backside for a nice little put in for the big fella. The other thing I'll think it'll do is because he's the second pin down, 
is you frank, frequently see the defenders slow to chase the sasser that can possibly open up for a three. Um, the other thing I think you'll see here too is you can get some high-low action out of Jairus and Juwan. Um, the one spinoff I would do on that too that I've not seen Houston do, but I'd like to see them do is, let's go and pull this back up actually, is if you flipped Jairus and Juwan, right, you could actually have a pop off the second pin down and then have a lot of isolation space for Sass. Um, and that way you have Jairus in the corner shoot threes, right? Um, they haven't shown that where they're spinning him into the corner off a double pin. Uh, the double pin down actions typically been with Jawan Roberts, but I think it's something they can do and open up that really exploits a lot of what uh, Miami gives up in a way that Virginia was able to exploit in their almost comeback win. Speaking of that almost comeback win, I want to get into the third segment. So let's get to it. Um, in the third segment, I said I want to talk about these games because um, I think it's easy to forget because all these common opponents are just the two of them, I guess, Virginia and uh, Central Florida. Miami did win. And so I don't want it to a win to win to win to win. I want to take that away from anybody or anything like that. But with under 18 minutes to go in the entire basketball game, Miami was beating Virginia 41 to 26. They finished that game 66 to 64, right? And against Central Florida, you kind of had a similar story. Oh, I've lost my chart here. Uh, you had a similar story in that the game was close. And then with, what is this, 15 minutes to go, Miami goes up 42 to 32, and Miami wins 66 to 64. Now, other than like, I think it's interesting that both of the scores are the same score. Uh, what I thought was, Interesting in looking at that, I was like, okay, I gotta go back and watch the last few minutes. Like, what are Virginia and Central Florida doing to make those big comebacks in the last part of the game? And again, the thing was pop, hitting threes on the pop or hitting rolls and getting the lane and getting to the bucket, right? Um, specifically, with Central Florida doing both Taylor Hendricks, right? Uh, the same way I think we can explode Jairus Walker or guard to guard screens. Um, but on the whole, is that way for both of them. And then in Miami playing Virginia. Right. Um, Virginia's coming down and gets all the way inside the paint for a layup that would have tied the game. And the guy dribbles off his own leg like that. That very easily could have been an overtime game that the Virginia comeback mounts and wins in uh, in Coral Gables. They play basketball at, on their campus. Tell me in the comments below if you think they do. Um, and then that's the Virginia game against Central Florida, which admittedly was in Orlando. Right. Um, down the stretch at the end, Miami is up three fouls to make them shoot two free throws. The kid makes the first free throw and then misses the second free throw and a tip goes out of bounds. And before they can determine who gets the ball, whatever the determination is actually that the, the clock, if it starts right when the rebound is tipped would have been expired by the time the ball landed out of bounds. And thus the game was over. So both of those games with just, a little bit more time or a little bit slightly different play on the single last play of the game could have been resulted in a whole different thing. Who knows Miami's even a five. So you do like all like just a couple games go different right now. We saw central Florida play. We saw Virginia play. Those are good basketball teams and Miami did beat them. I don't mean to say that they're not, but I do think that that's an interesting way to, to like look at the end of the game because at the surface, they look like just wins um, and they look at close, good gutty wins. But they also were signs of like holding on for dear life down the stretch, right? Houston's had their own fair share of those. I don't mean to say they haven't had like moments. The cardiac coogs is a real thing, right? We had a nurse on the other day. Like that's a real, real thing. However, um, they could have gone a different way. And I think it's important to keep in mind looking at these games. Um, 
Same thing you could argue, honestly, happened in a stretch in the Indiana game. That part was just in the first part of the second half, and then Miami blew the doors out, right? The pace of play got too fast for Indiana, blew the doors out. Um, It also happened in the Drake game, right? If you remember that game, I mean, frankly, Drake outplayed Miami for like 35 or 40 minutes in that basketball game and held, what is this, an eight-point lead with less than six minutes to go, right? Like, Drake should have won that basketball game in a 12-5 upset. Those are not uncommon, right? Um, Drake's a good basketball team, too. I don't mean to, like, discredit what Miami did in that game. Miami did have to come back to win it, right? Um, but that game in itself, too, was like there are moments where a couple things go different down the stretch, and Miami doesn't mount that big comeback. Um, across the board there, in, both of, in all four of those games, really, the closers for Miami offensively were Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack. That's why I think Houston's got to go with Mark, Marcus Sasser and Jamal Shedd. I guess the inverse of that on the defensive side. And Norshad O'Meara's effort made a couple of key plays down the stretch in each of those four games. Jawan Roberts, Jarris Walker, those guys got to find ways to keep him off of the boards in each of those games and in following those games, we following it, of course, at Twitter and on my Twitter and all those kinds of things. Make sure you follow me at Painsworth 512 P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H 512 on Twitter, Instagram, and all of your various social media handles. Uh, I am so excited to get to watch Houston Cougar basketball this Friday night. It has been a long, long, long week in the household these days. Um, I, I told y'all and took a, a quick leave. Um, we did we did uh, go to a family funeral uh, fairly suddenly in the middle of the week on Wednesday. Um, it just was that kind of week. So I want to say thank you to the folks that locked on for throwing together that college basketball thing in the middle of the week. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, got to see a little perspective of all the different teams around the country as we head to the Sweet 16. I want to thank the listeners for being patient and like taking a break from content for a couple of days while I had to be the family. Because like I said, there are some things that are, you know, basketball, football, both very, very important in my life. Um, there are just a handful of things that are more. And so thank you all for being understanding and accommodating and not freaking out about content being slower this week. Um, but man, I could use a good basketball game to watch on Friday night. And I hope you do too. And I hope we all enjoy the game. Um, and I hope Houston plays hard and plays healthy and does all the right things. I'll be following it again at Painsworth 512 P I P A I N S W O R T H Instagram and all of the various social media handles. Uh, we'll have a recap up probably Saturday, um, depending on uh, the week is not over. <laughs> so depending on how Friday night goes, um, but we'll probably have a recap up Saturday and hopefully we're previewing a game on Sunday as well. We will see, we will see all those kinds of things on Friday. Thank you all so much. Remember uh, if you want a second listen, I'm going to recommend lots college basketball because a, if you've been following along, they did an episode here this week. And B, uh, Andy and Isaac are doing a great job of covering all of the college basketball landscape. There are a couple of the Sweet 16 games on Thursday night they can tell you about as well. So make sure you go give them a listen for your second listen today. Locked on Cougs is a proud member of the Locked on Podcast Network. That means your team, or in our case, number one team in the country, every day.